Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Bottoming, the LGBTQ mental health podcast about rock bottoming and beyond. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BottomingPod or visit bottomingpodcast.com for more content relating to each episode. We've also added a support page to the website to direct you to the right place if you're struggling or need someone to talk to. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts. Hello, I'm Matthew. And I'm Brendan, and our pronouns are he and him. Hey, love, it's been a while, hasn't it? It has been a while. We did uh, our last step, when was it? Early August. Mm -hmm. But we're back for a big, fat, double blockbuster. What's it called? A double... I don't (laughs) know. Double bill? Double double bill, yeah. Oh, I loved the double bills. (laughs) Hollyoaks double bills were chaotic, but I loved it. (laughs) That's what we're giving you today, anyway. Chaos. It will Double be chaos, chaos by the end of this. Chaotic. Mm-hmm. You won't know what's it, yeah. With that being said, we are going to save our usual intro for the next episode. So mm-hmm. get settled, listen to this one. It's a very, very good one. And then after that, straight on to number two to get your full dose of chaos. Yeah, because there's a, this is a, not an announcement, but there's more of a. Hmm, what are we going to say? A statement of a verbal <laughs> audio a statement. statement. <laughs> Just an update. <laughs> an update, there we go. <laughs> yeah, we have an update about the podcast, the future, what lies ahead, what lies beneath, all sorts. So, <laughs> but we're not giving anything away, you little <laughs> rascals. You have to come to the next episode, okay. <laughs> so, this episode... We interviewed Marianne back in May, so first and foremost, we're so sorry, Marianne, it's taken this long to get this episode out. Initially, we said, oh, next week. A week or two, it'll be out. (laughs) (laughs) At max. Uh, Here we are in September. The main thing is, though, 
it is an incredible interview and it was you i think that found marianne wasn't it initially yeah i think i followed marianne on twitter for a little while um and some of the work she's done i've seen in a few different places so um yeah i thought and then also a person i spoke to through work had recommended um that we speak to her as well mm-hmm. when we were discussing the podcast so um yeah lots of lots of gold star reviews for marianne gorgeous yeah because we've had a couple of um well, we've spoken to a couple of guests about trans experiences in the past but we've never actually gone into trans healthcare and that system and how it can be sometimes harmful to people waiting some people have really good experiences but i think what was really good about the interview is that marianne herself has been through the nhs system but she's now working at um it is private healthcare now isn't it um so she kind of has seen both sides of it so what's it's really useful to get that perspective yeah i think one of the things we always want to do and we have done in other episodes is like the personal experience is super important to us but we also want to make sure that the practical like experience side of it is also covered as well and i think that's why we've maybe not touched on it before because we wanted to get mm-hmm. the right person for it which yeah is why we ended up speaking to marianne about it i know again i'm not gonna don't need to repeat any of it but the media in the uk especially but the us and lots and lots of other countries um as well but they're the hotspots or a volatile place for trans mm-hmm. people um healthcare especially in the uk for trans people is so poor mm-hmm. um wait times can be many many years um just to get a first appointment i know pre or maybe just over the the course of the the first few lockdowns all um gender affirming surgery for trans men was essentially cancelled and put on hold there was like mm-hmm. no bottom surgeries taking place um and that that just like went that was fine apparently for everyone because there was barely a article um to be seen about it so it just kind of again it just amplifies what trans people are dealing with in the uk and why it needs to be tackled and also why you know Gender GP is one of the organisations Marianne's worked for. Why mm-hmm. those sorts of organisations have set up in order to provide a service that's just not being offered, which is putting lives at risk. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but as Brendan said, it was fantastic to chat to her. She's got an absolute treasure chest of facts and information and mm. experiences. So, um, yeah, thank you again for chatting to us. And also, um, I want to highlight there was a story that came out in July about the NHS um, deciding to close Tavistock um, which which was the, the sole provider of gender identity health services for children and young people in England um, and it was because of an independent review of the service um, and it basically just found that it wasn't suitable for the amount of um, well for the growing demand of trans people but what's positive about it is they're going to replace it with two other centres, one in London and one in the North West. And we'll add this link to the notes and on the website. But the mermaids have put together like a pros and cons list of this decision. Um, some of the points are that there'll be more capacity for gender healthcare services, 
Um, the regional services throughout England will bring support close to home, so not everyone's travelling um, to London. Um, there'll be more a holistic approach to care, um, connecting different local services, and more support for those on the waiting list um, to provide a diverse range of pathways for the specialist needs of each individual person. So it seems like a positive move. Obviously, um, the media and <clears throat> some hateful trolls out there um, treated this as a really positive decision and they hailed it as a, you know, a win for <laughs> the anti-trans movement. But actually, it's incredibly um, progressive. I guess well not incredibly progressive but progressive for the stage we're at I think Mm -hmm. Um, so that's fantastic and this news came out after the interview that we had with Marianne otherwise we would have discussed it Mm -hmm. Um, I think as as always with with this sort of stuff like we would always advise following checking out researching into this with the LGBT organisations and the trans organisations that are on the front line of this Mm -hmm. um because we even found out preparing for this episode, like if you search one thing, the amount of either far-right news articles or misinformed blogs or so-called, you know, LGB organisations or whatever, mm-hmm. it's just filled with misinformation. So go to the LGBT organisations and trans organisations that are doing this work. Um, like Mermaid, like Gender GP, mm-hmm. um, like Gendered Intelligence, they're breaking all of this down and actually showing what it, what it means and why it's not as scary as it possibly sounds when mm-hmm. you know it's being championed by um, trans exclusionary people. So, without further ado, here is Marianne. So I'm Marianne Oakes. I am a therapeutic counsellor um, and my pronouns are she, her. Can you give us a bit of background about the work that you do, please? So so basically I'm a therapeutic counsellor, which basically means that I offer therapy to anybody really who wants therapy. I'm also a hypnotherapist as well. Mm. Um, but my work's obviously taken me in a direction where I, I work almost exclusively with transgender mm-hmm. clients, people at all different stages of transition from the, you know, somebody that's just thinking they may be trans to people who are trans and want to know and help support going through transition. And that d- does lead me. So I have a private practice where I work, uh, where people come direct to me. But I also, uh, my main work, my body of work is through Gender GP because obviously mm-hmm. working in this area, um, I made a connection with the founder, Dr. Helen Webley, and she just asked me, would I go and do work for them? So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, my title there is lead therapist. Uh, so I make sure the training that all the therapists that deliver uh, therapy to trans clients, because we don't have all trans therapists, sadly, mm-hmm. um, that they're delivering consistent uh, therapeutic um, care. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it follows with the ethos, not just of Gender GP, but myself, who, again, I've worked quite hard with the other people at Gender GP to create an ethos there of how we treat the, uh, the mm-hmm. patients. So that's kind of my main work uh, through them. This might be a big question to answer because obviously each client's going to be so um, 
unique and have their own uh, journeys themselves. But what does what does the kind the work kind of look like for people who approach you or Gender GP um, in terms of therapeutic benefits? So I think one of the things uh, that we have to understand, you're right, they, they, we, they are all unique, everybody that comes to us. And uh, just to kind of stipulate uh, that, that our starting point is that everybody's journey is unique to them. So we don't mm. have a criteria that anybody has to fit. Mm. But it depends what they come from. From a therapeutic um, side of things is the first thing I say to everybody that comes to see me, I'll work hard to be what you need me to be. And that means that I will be out and out counsellor, you know, challenging them on the thought processes, trying to understand why they think like they do, trying mm-hmm. to help them see things from different perspectives. But I'll also be kind of mentor. You know, some people come and they want to, they'll say like, oh, I want to come out at work or I want to come out to my parents or my partner or whoever. And we'll talk mm-hmm. about the language and actually, you know, what will that mean? What do you want to come out? What do you actually want to tell them? You know, mm-hmm, do you want to, mm-hmm. do you want to unburden themselves, but actually, what do you actually want to say? What do you want to get from that interaction? So, so helping people to put a language and mm-hmm. understand what it is that they're trying to say. And other people, you know, I'll get somebody will come and say, I think I might be trans. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the starting point. And, you know, mm-hmm. my, my question back to everybody is, what makes you think that? Yeah. And, and they'll start, and then you'll just start unraveling it. The one thing I do say consistently is, if you believe that you are questioning your gender, even to a minimal degree, then to some degree, you probably are trans. But let's mm. work out what that means to you in your life going forward. Mm. Wow. I, 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 did, I think I did read also, you may be... Like talk to parents of trans people who uh, have questions as well. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. So we work with families. Um, that that's probably, if I'm honest with you, my main interest is working with trans youth mm-hmm. and with the families because um, a I think they're getting a raw deal from society at the moment. Very misunderstood. There's lots mm-hmm. of misinformation around there, and I also know well, some people will listen to this and they'll be screaming. You know. Um, that that we shouldn't be working with trans children, but we can't abandon them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what we do, what we tend to find is that some of them will come, and the parents will book them in for therapy with me. Mm. And honestly, it's the parents that should be coming for the therapy. The kids there, yeah, I'm a girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a boy. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you want me to say? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> And the parents are downstairs biting the nails, you know. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, we we I work with families, so and I will work in a unique way. Um, I will tailor the needs of the family, and depending on who comes. So, for example, um, this is privately. I have to say, I have a family who I see uh, once every two weeks, and. Um, we contracted, so all, all therapies contracted. We lay out the terms, you know, mm. and what the boundaries are and the confidentiality. And there was uh, the child and the two parents wanted to be involved. Uh, and in the background running about, because it's online, it was the younger sibling. So we contracted that actually there are no secrets, that whoever mm. wants to come to each therapy session, you know, whose needs are greatest, they can do, but... Mm you don't say anything to me that we, we wouldn't talk about as a group. And so they, they just, you know, I don't know who's going to turn up, 
uh, when I see them. Mainly it's all of them. Um, but the dad's been having an issue. Uh, the dad can tend to be... Um, he's on board and he really, really wants to be supportive, but he's got his issues. So we, mm -hmm. we spend a lot of time coming up with ways for them to interact better as a family and to have empathy for each other. You know, mm -hmm. just because somebody's got a problem with this, we don't demonise them. Uh, we don't, you know, they're not transphobic just because they've, they've got, how can I say, rigid thought processes about mm -hmm. how life is. Uh, we've got to have empathy for that and work with them. So, and that's not out and out, you know, family therapy. It's working with the family, sharing experiences, creating a space where they can be honest. And I facilitate it so, you know, that, that stop it turning into just a big argument and then they mm. go away for the week and process. So, yeah, family therapy really important. Yeah. I mean, even in that mm. example, the fact that that person is still turning up every week mm -hmm. even if they've got issues that in itself is an enormous thing mm -hmm. because yeah. if if, if actually like there's obviously something in there where he wants to you know understand more and be better at what he does so that's i guess that's a positive isn't it even even if these things can take time as well so mm -hmm. i guess the, it's a silver lining isn't it the biggest issue i think with um, parents is that this is something they're just not prepared for mm. Uh, you know, you can see sometimes you'll see an effeminate boy and think, oh, they're going to go and be gay, or you'll see, a, you know, a tomboy uh, or, you know, masculine uh, mm. girl and you think, oh, they're going to be a lesbian. Yeah. And even now, even in 2022, with all the stuff that's going around, rarely do they think, oh, they could be trans. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. and, when, and when they say that, that word, the T word, you know, the whole world falls apart. Mm -hmm. And that's why I believe, firmly believe, and if there are any parents listening to this podcast, you know, it's okay, uh, but you need to process it. You need to come and talk to somebody as well. Mm -hmm. And and you can't fake support. I, I think it's the same for all LGBTQ plus people. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll come out to the parents and uh, the parents will be, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll love you, whatever. You know, but then there's this distance starts growing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's sad. I think it's sad when it could be held. I'm obviously yeah. pro, pro therapy, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, um... any any kind of education around, um, yeah, we spoke about it in a our upbringing episode we did a, a, f a few seasons ago, and um, yeah, any kind of education that kind of just so you learn a bit more about what it is to be LGBTQ plus is going to be beneficial to whoever you're interacting with if you are a parent. Um, but one of the things I really loved that's on Gender GP's website, which is your blog, um, which you kind of tracked um, your transition and um, going through the NHS and things like that, including wait times, which just sounded like a, a huge ordeal. Um, how has your own experience informed the work you do? Interestingly enough, I used myself as an experiment. So I came across Gender GP probably halfway through the wait and part of me thought do I just go with gender GP you know I'm embedded mm. there and mm -hmm. I thought but how can I have an empathy a genuine empathy for the people that are on that wait that can't afford gender GP or you know are frightened of going privately mm -hmm. um, so I, I decided to stick it out as it happens um, I do have to say I was really fortunate I've got a supportive family. I was fully socially transitioned. I was working as a, a 
female therapist. Um, I think for the people who are on that weight and it's their lifeline to a new life, I think it's to a totally different experience. Mm. Um, and that's where desperation creeps in. But yeah, that I did it purely so I could have an empathy for those Mm. Uh, go into it and also share the experience of what to expect when you get there not that all the clinicians are the same but I think mm. the the broad package of care across all the GICs is very similar mm. so yeah a bit of a guinea pig <laughs> <laughs> and I mean one of the wait times obviously we mentioned there but I think it was only last week or the week before they've got even longer even longer than they were a year ago I think it's something ridiculous, isn't it? Like seven to 12 years if someone signs onto the register now, I think is what it said last week, which when people are getting annoyed at other wait times for like other sorts of treatments and it's six or 12 months, you just think like when you explain the, what trans people are facing, people just can't wrap their head around it. Yeah. It seems so <laughs> ludicrous. Um, but as well as that, what are some of the other... For people that are listening, we've covered different things around this before. We've kind of touched on on different areas of it, but from your experience, what are some of the main challenges that trans people face when it comes to accessing healthcare? And I guess the secondary question is, do you think the media coverage around it, and as you mentioned before, the society's framing of being trans right now, do you think that's also having an impact on it? I think it's all... I think the trouble that we're having is that we get something in the headlines. It, it was the GRA that kicked everything off, I mm. believe. Mm -hmm. uh, and that goes back to 2014, 2015, when the mm -hmm. Women's Inequality Committee did this thing and said that transgender healthcare needs overhauling. It is, yeah. you know, it is failing the, um, the service users. I think in terms of the, the trouble that we've got is that there's, am I allowed to say anything controversial? Please, yeah. So this, this is, <laughs> This is opinion. This is opinion. The transgender healthcare in the UK, there is a tiny few people at the top that have got mm -hmm. a tight grip on it, using expert status, professors, yeah. you know, professors uh, that believe they're an expert. Now, the one thing you'll never hear me say about myself is that I'm an expert in this. Mm -hmm. I believe that the patients are their expert in their own life, that there's no expert. The, act, the care that they're wanting to access to get on with their lives is very, very simple and could happen in primary care. Mm. But when they, get, when they try to access primary care and the, the GP looks at what's happened to other GPs uh, when they've tried to help trans patients, mm -hmm. they don't want to go near it. And the reality is that they then refer them on to the GICs. And the GICs, because they're trying to keep such a tight grip, you know, it's like a, a boys club, you know, yeah. they, they, they won't let people in easily. They can't expand the staff quick enough. It's a very boring area of healthcare. If I'd got a, you know, if I was a doctor and I'd done seven years training, you don't want to be dishing out hormones uh, <laughs> for your career. You know, you, you're going to have more aspirations than that. So mm. getting people to work in that, but they keep that that tight grip on it, that the, 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 the model of care won't change. Mm. They won't ease. They won't ease it so that there's easier flow. So can he, and just send people back to the GPs and say, you know, you can prescribe this. Yeah. Um, they, they could have a network of people like myself. There's lots of uh, therapists out there who they could have a network. That if GPs 
uh, they could offer contracts out to so it could be dealt with more cheaply than having their own in-house GPs. Mm. So what we did get then is this compounding, this this wait list is going up, the people at the top don't want to let go, and all I get when I talk to anybody about it is, what, what I've got to understand is things won't change that quickly. If this was any other area of healthcare and there were advances in global, you know, things happening globally to advance the healthcare, it would happen within two or three years. Mm. This has been going on since 2014 and nothing's changed, it's just got worse. Yeah. So, and then the headlines start coming and then people think all oh, these trans people demanding healthcare, you know, who yeah. are we? Why should the taxpayer pay for you? Well, why should we pay for anybody? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where, do, where do we draw the line? So, um, yeah, I don't know if that's answered the question, but I've answered a bit there. Yeah, no, no, no. And I think, to be honest, I think with that sort of a question, it's about, that's typically going to be the answer because it is such a shit show in this country, isn't it, at the minute? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One of the things I was going to... So for anyone that isn't too sure, GIC is a gender identity clinic. Um, yes. And how many are there in the UK at the minute? Do you know that number? So I do have to say, there has been a change in the last two years. So there were seven, I think there was. Mm. And they all tend to be, apart from Exeter, dotted up the M1. So, mm. you know, if you live, you know, nowhere near the M1 or Exeter, it's yeah. a hell of a... And with the infrastructure. So it's not exactly uh, accessible. Mm. But the truth of the matter is they've started doing these pilot schemes now. So there's one in London, Liverpool, Manchester, uh, Cardiff, I can't think. There's a few pilot schemes where they have brought it, so they've speeded it up. They are getting people onto um, onto the hormones quicker. Mm. However, it's still relatively small numbers, mm. and there's no guarantee that they're going to roll out the scheme yeah. Uh, generally, in Sussex in particular, I think that's where Brighton is. Um, I think it's Sussex. They've got a training program. Uh, I've got a friend who works for the uh, Clare Project down there. They go around training GPs up how to offer uh, mm-hmm. care, and they're trying to get GP practices to sign up. So anybody in Sussex eventually will be able to go to the GP practice and get access to hormones. Mm. That's what we need. Whether they'll stick with it. You know, it's all just a pilot scheme. We don't know yet. And again, yeah. this scene's still such, considering the volume of numbers because of the wait list, they, mm. um, um, it's still very relatively small numbers. Yeah. Um, but at least I they're mean, trying. Yeah, it's just mad, isn't it? When you think of some of the headlines, like, like ones about, you know, transitioning children and they just go to the GP once and all of a sudden that's it. And like, Honestly. the reality is, the reality is, is not. That is it, and um, we spoke to Charlie Craig's a little while ago on her show on BBC iPlayer, uh, Transitioning Teens. She, in there, discusses essentially both sides of, you know, quote-unquote, the debate around trans healthcare and trans people in general. All we need is, not all we need, that's a very, very small thing, but what we need is just more people that know what they're doing and are able to help, because mm-hmm. that will, it, just more support, more funding, more places to get help and support because at the minute it's as you say it's just gate kept isn't it so for the children it, i mean it's a different model of care altogether um mm. so how can i say with the children th- this idea that you just go to the gic 
and and they put mm. you on blockers straight away. They will not put you on blockers until you're 16 now. Mm. And, and that goes back well before the Bell case. Mm. Um, they, they, they were on, it's too late. There's no yeah. other putting puberty blockers in place then. Mm-hmm. You might as well move them straight onto the hormones. Mm. But there are lots of people coming out with, again, with fancy titles of professor this, psychiatrist and all of that. And I'm not doubting the qualifications, but they've not worked with this patient group. They've certainly not worked with this patient group to the degree that somebody like I have. Mm. Um, And be under no illusion, uh, this idea that we're grooming kids to be trans, the last thing I would want is for a cis person of any age to go through this process. Mm. For, a cis, for, for a cis man, for example, to have estrogen and start developing the secondary sex characteristics of a female would be abhorrent. Mm. I know because I was in the other direction and it is mm. abhorrent. And it, if you can't understand that, then then there's nothing, no opinion you're gonna, you're gonna have that, that holds any water. You've got yeah. to understand what the patient's going through. So you can have psychiatrists, you can have whistleblowers. From what I can gather, most of the whistleblowers um, from GIDS, which is the gender identity, um, what is it, GIDS? Gender Identity Development Services. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they deal all with trans youth. Mm. Uh, we'll get whistleblowers from there, but when you look at it, they've hardly worked. They've not got to know the patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what they see is somebody at 16 being put on puberty blockers, and they're going, oh, my God, this is you know horrendous. Yeah. They, they don't know what the child's been going through. They don't know what um, what state they were in before they went there. Yeah, the history. And, yeah. And I think it's easy to start saying whistleblowers, and just because somebody walked past the door of the Tavistock, one day doesn't make them an expert. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, because honestly, who who would want to? And it's just, it's just homophobia rehashed, isn't it? Like decades old homophobia mm-hmm. just rehashed. Who, like in their right mind, would choose that path, knowing knowing what they're gonna then have to deal with? It just it doesn't make sense. Um, yeah. You mentioned um, the pilot schemes popping up around the UK. But for the people that are currently on like a waiting list for the NHS, do you have any tips for sticking in there and and having a bit more hope for for what's to come? I I think it is moving in the right direction. I think Mm. the thing that's causing most... So we've got... um, I don't know what the word is, but we've got like a... uh, We've got this social change happening. I always say Mm -hmm. uh, in the work that I do, I'm working at the vanguard of social change, which is fantastic um, mm-hmm. to, to be there. But we're going through the most horrendous uh, vilification in the press. Even mm. Boris Johnson, Rishi Shunak, they're all coming out with tra- unqualified statements. You know, oh, yeah. if we start talking about trans women in sports, which we could have a whole podcast on. Yeah. But the, the, you know, the truth about it, all that's coming out and all that's doing is feeding into the shame and the stigma mm-hmm. of these people that are on the waiting list. So... If, it, if that wasn't there, if we could mute all that, that noise around this and we could work with people, you know, there's no reason why they can't transition without mm-hmm. accessing the care. The, you know, given the right support, certainly with therapy, doing it carefully, finding the right spaces to, to get used to it, to feel comfortable. Mm. There are things you could do, but what all this noise is forcing everybody to stay closeted going yeah. back to the 80s and 90s mm. uh, with, with um, 
the LGBT community mm-hmm. back then and, and the vilification over AIDS and all of that. It was all designed to keep you in the closet. Yeah. And what they're trying to, and it's working. And then they're putting you on a seven year wait list. Um, and, and, and your mental health starts to go. And then we come, and everybody wonders why we're so sensitive and mm-hmm. defensive of our, yeah. you know, identities. I, I don't know about you guys, but when I, the word I found, I feel, I just shouldn't be embarrassed because I feel like I'm stigmatizing this now, but the word was transvestite. Mm. That was the first word that described anything close to what I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. And I held on to that like life itself. It yeah. was like, the first time in my life I realized there was a word for it and there must be other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we find our identity, it is really important to us and then to have all this, yeah, you know, rubbish thrown at us that bears no resemblance to our experience. Um, it just keeps people closeted and it's not healthy and it's not, it, I don't think it makes any, no, there's no winners in it really because yeah. we're still yeah. there. We're yeah. just putting more pressure on the NHS with mental health services then. Mm. Um, I know we've only got a couple of minutes, but one of the things I wanted to raise, um, and I think this came out today or yesterday, there was a new report, um, I think it was a US report, that shows that 94% of trans kids maintain their trans identity after five years, while another 3.5% identified as non-binary. It's part of a huge piece of research that essentially just debunks this idea that is being pushed that you know, the amount of detransitioners is enormous. More research like that obviously is needed, isn't it? Because having that sort of data just proves all of that shit wrong. <laughs> um, have you seen that research and kind of what are your just initial thoughts on that sort of thing? I've only read a, an article on the research, but they're not telling me anything we didn't already know. Um, mm. It's nice to have it there, and it's good that there are people in the background doing that. The challenge is really... Do you know if, if somebody came out as gay mm. and, and you don't want somebody following you around with a clipboard asking you how happy you are <laughs> and how long are you going to be gay for? And oh, it's been five years now, so you're probably you're still, gay. You're, you're still yeah. gay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, why should trans people have that? It's just, but yeah. I just understand that we need it and I'm glad there are people doing it and I just hope they're doing it in a sensitive way. Can I yeah. just make one quick point, though? Of course, and, yeah. And I think this is uh, might be deemed controversial. I've had an interaction with a, a transphobe uh, over the past few days. My mm. hometown, they posted, like, they'd had this meal with uh, J.K. Rowling uh, masks on. Yeah. I, and, and there was a name on, so I researched them, and I found them on Facebook, and I've had this interaction with them. And at no point have I ever called them a transphobe. At no point mm-hmm. have I insulted them. I mean, I'm calling them a transphobe now, but that's how they came into my mm-hmm. uh, awareness. Mm-hmm. And, and we've had this interaction, it's been tough. And they've been quoting all this stuff from Transgender Trend, basically, at me. Yeah. And I've been going back and countering it. It's been tense at times. It's all on messaging. Mm-hmm. Um and and uh, yesterday they kind of came on and they just said, uh, you've got to stop this uh, using your professional qualifications as a justification that what I believe is wrong. And, uh, what? And then, but then I took, I, I took a breath and I went back and I just went and, and said, uh, look, I am a qualified mental health professional. I can't help that. I do work in this area and I do know about it. What I don't know is how it feels to be the parent mm. of a trans child. I said, and that was, you know, and 
and I can't imagine what you go through. I, I don't know she's a parent. Mm. I'm guessing she's a parent now. Mm. Um, just because of the stuff she said and how um, how determined she was to convince me she knew. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I said, it, you know, it must be horrible. And, you know, you've got your own, you know, you're going to, I didn't say it to her. I kind of said it, that they must have their own processes to go through. And when yeah. you go out there and you're looking for information, you're going to find the stuff that confirms your own bias mm. because that's, and you want hope that my child might not be trans. And I said, but I'm here to help if you want. Yeah. And what I thought was that, you know, if we could get interactions that were more respectful, mm-hmm. that wasn't about beating each other around the head with words and insults, that, that we could start and have a decent dialogue. Mm. I don't believe in debate. I think decent dialogue is the way forward. Mm-hmm. And I, it's kind of taught me a lesson, and I'm going to start and just step back now. Name calling isn't getting anybody anywhere. Mm. It's just damaging everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure there's some trans people out there are going to be shouting at me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that was a really nice way to finish it. Absolutely. Because, yeah, people, it is, it's such a horrible, toxic environment online and yeah i think just sometimes just taking a bit of a step back is the way to do it isn't it yeah and understanding what somebody else is going through Mm. uh, and that behind every behavior there's an emotion Mm -hmm. it's as simple as that and that goes for all the you know the jks and uh, other celebrities that are trying to get involved in this Mm. Uh, so much going on for them and we've got to understand that but it shouldn't block uh as all moving forward as a society. Thank you again, Marianne, for your time. Um, Thank you so much. So for now, that's all we've got for you. As always, we'll put our links any relevant articles, anything that was discussed in the interview, and then also contact details should you wish to find out more from Marianne. We'll put those in the um, show notes and on the website. So, bottomingpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, the law, um, at bottomingpod. Great. As mentioned at the start of this episode, join us immediately after on our second of the two We've got a little announcement for you. Wouldn't you like to know (laughs) what we've got to say? Wouldn't you like to know? I can't wait to see how this turns out. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, toodaloo. Okay, bye. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.